Psalm, 60th Psalm. While you're turning there, I would just like to thank the session for asking me to come and to bring the Word to you to all this day. It was um, a bit of a shock when we got here on, on Friday night because I stepped out, of, um, stepped out of the van into the cold weather and my lungs had no idea what was going on because I left Florida and it was 80 degrees. I arrived here and it was not. So, but it is good to be here, and it's good to be. It's good to be able to bring the Lord's word. Psalm sixty. Before we read the psalm, um, in y'all's y'all's Bible reading, do y'all do it consecutively, or was that a text that Reverend Bannister chose? I'm just curious. He chose undoubtedly. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad for that because what we'll be looking at will touch on that very much this morning. At Psalm 60, we'll take time to, to read all of the psalm. To the chief musician upon Shushan Edith, Mictan of David, to teach when he strove with Aram Naharaim and with Aram Zobah, when Joab returned and smote of Edom in the Valley of Salt 12,000. O God, Thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast been displeased. O turn Thyself to us again. Thou hast made the earth to tremble. Thou hast broken it. Heal the breaches thereof, for it shaketh. Thou hast showed Thy people hard things. Thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear Thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth, Selah that thy beloved may be delivered, save with thy right hand, and hear me. God hath spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and meet out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the strength of mine head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Philistia, triumph thou because of me. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? Wilt not thou, O God, which hadst cast us off, and thou, O God, which didst not go out with our armies, give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Amen. This is the powerful word of the Lord to us here this morning. But before we... Again, to look at this Word, let's have one more moment of prayer. Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, we come now into Thy presence, where we rejoice that we have sung Thy praises, and You have rejoiced to hear Thy people sing this morning. For we rejoice that we have been able to give our gifts unto Thee. But now, Lord, we ask that You would speak to us, we ask that you would tell us, Lord, and give us, give us your truth. Convince us of who you are, Lord, and build up our faith. Speak to thy people in spite of the weakness of your preacher. Speak above and beyond him. Go beyond the weaknesses of our own flesh and our minds that would stray from this word. And overcome us and speak to us this morning. This is our desire, and it is your desire to fulfill it. We praise Thee for it. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. In the psalm that you have opened for you this morning, David has recently come to the throne. The Lord had preserved him from all the attacks of Saul against his life through those years that he spent in the desert. And the Lord had had put an end to those that were opposing him in Israel. But now David is faced with a very difficult task. He must conquer and take back the land in Israel that was, that was lost under Saul's reign, subduing the enemies of the Lord's people. In the historical account of this, you'll find it in 2 Samuel chapter 8. We won't turn there. And oftentimes, if I allude to a verse just so it doesn't frustrate you, you don't have to turn there. I'll be going quickly through them. But this psalm tells us something that that historical account doesn't tell us. Because in the historical account, all you read of is David's victories against his enemies. But there was a very painful defeat in the midst of those victories that the historical account does not mention. It was so bad that David, he says in that first verse, O God, Thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast been displeased. And there, he's using poetic language to say what it feels like in this moment. It feels as if you have cast us off. And we know that because in the second verse, it says you've made the earth to tremble. Well, the earth didn't actually tremble. It was just so bad and it was so difficult for David that it felt like the world was shaking. But how could that be? The Lord had promised to David that He would make him king and that He would use him to deliver Israel from their enemies. So the Lord promised victory. So how is it that they suffered this great defeat? And worse yet, it makes it even more difficult because in this account, there's no mention of some particular sin that brought this defeat. It seems that there is no cause for it. And the enemy is still a threat. David still has to go out with his men and he has to fight on even after this defeat. If you're a Christian, you'll have to answer the same question that David had to answer in this psalm. How do I keep going on? How do I keep fighting after a defeat? even defeats that you can't tie to some particular sin or some particular reason. You know, the church that that I come from down in Orlando, for five or six years, we didn't have a pastor. And we finally had some hope that we would have one when we, we called a man from Northern Ireland. But then COVID happened and that door was completely closed. And the hope that we had of getting a minister after years was just shut. We felt defeated. There's no cause for that, it seemed. No sin. The church through the years has had to wrestle with defeat from, from the days of the apostles as they were martyred for the faith, as they were killed, as spreading the gospel. Or even thought of the death of Robert Murray McShane, who was he was a good man and a Bible preacher, and he died at 29. He never fulfilled what we would see as a full life's ministry. He died young. 
And for you and for I, even our own personal lives, we suffer in our minds and our bodies, depression, physical ailments and mental ailments, and often without a cause, or so it seems. But when we suffer, it seems it is one defeat after another in our lives. We, we come across all kinds of temptations in those defeats. We're tempted to think that well, the Lord doesn't really love us. If He did, then why are we suffering so much? Why do we feel defeated? We're tempted, at the very worst, to give up on life altogether. And that's what brings people to commit suicide, is they come to a point where they are absolutely and totally defeated. And they do not want to go on. They feel they can't go on anymore. But when we suffer great defeats, the war is not over. Much like David, we have to keep going. We have to keep fighting. To encourage ourselves to keep fighting. To keep having faith in God. Well, this psalm that we have open before us this morning, it tells us how to do that. This psalm instructs us how we are to go on and to keep fighting. That's why from this psalm I want to preach to you this morning on what to do when defeated. What to do when defeated. The first thing that David did and the first thing that we must do is see that God is in control. See that God is in control of of the big picture, first of all. David, he opens this psalm and he recognizes one one of the most difficult things to come to terms with when one suffers a defeat. And that's that God in His sovereignty has chosen for that defeat to happen. But none of what I'm about to talk about or or mention when it comes to God being in control minimizes man's responsibility. I just want you to know that, that I'm, not imp- I'm not implying that at all. Man is responsible, but God is in control. And we have to take both of those truths, as difficult as it is to understand them at times. But if you look at what David says at verse 1, he says, O oh God, Thou hast cast us off, Thou hast scattered us, and Thou hast been displeased. And he's simply stating there, the Lord, You are in total control of what's happening. This defeat, these sorrows have come because You've chosen it to come. And the only alternative to what David is saying there is that the Lord is not in control. That the Lord is somehow not as strong as the enemies of Israel. That they have overpowered Him. If that was the case, there would be no point to even pray to the Lord. Clearly, these, these enemies would be stronger, but we know that can't be. So the Lord must be in control. But God is also in control here of every detail. When you read through something like this, it's covering a defeat that happened, you don't want to miss the details that are but are surely there. That God was in control of every little thing. In verse 3 it says, Thou hast showed Thy people hard things. You've shown Your people hard things. There would be mothers waiting for their sons to come home. 
Wives waiting for their husbands, children for their fathers, but they don't come home. The Lord chose, chose each of those men that would not be coming home that day when they suffered this defeat. Two of the men could have gone out to battle and been fighting side by side, but the Lord, in full control and in His sovereignty, chose for one of those men to make it home, but the other one didn't. And perhaps there were men that even returned home with, with injuries that would alter their life forever. But the Lord chose every part, every injury. This defeat was, was like God's canvas. And on it, there was not one shade or color that He didn't pick. He was in total control. That's, that is very hard for us to accept. And if we accept it, it's very hard for us to live, live it out as if it was true. I don't know any of the setbacks or the defeats that, that this church has suffered over the years. If you all have lost members, if there's been loss of life or death or great discouragements here, I don't particularly know what they are. But I do know you probably have had discouragements. If you think of them right now, you can say the Lord chose them. The Lord chose the discouragements that you have had in this church. And in your own homes and in your own families, I know you can think of something. You see, that's a defeat. The Lord chose those. It doesn't take away from man's responsibility, but the Lord chose them. Those defeats that leave us reeling and confused. You know, that's what it's, it's what it's referring to when David says in verse 3, Thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. That means this has hit us so hard that I'm, I'm reeling from this tragedy. And I, I can't think straight. I'm like a drunken man who can't, can't think and see his way through this tragedy. And I don't think that we're ever going to know all the reasons why the Lord chooses these defeats for us. At least not on this side of eternity. And maybe when we get to heaven, we still won't know all the reasons there, but we do know some reasons. One is that we would learn not to love this world. You know, a lot of times, if we're just going on and, and life is all smooth sailing, we start to live like this world is our home. And we're not pilgrims. That we're, there's not somewhere else that our eyes should be fixed on. Instead, we just get fixed in everything that's going so well here. But then defeat comes and we start to long for home. Because this is... It is a broken world. Full of brokenheartedness. And so, we're made to look to the Lord and His coming. But we come after this. We have to look at what David did next in this psalm. And that's that he focused on what God had said. If you look at verse 4, it says, Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. 
And that verse comes at, at an end of verses. I mean, I'm sure you saw the pattern in, in verse 1, 2, and 3. It says, thou hast, thou hast, thou hast. And on all of those things, David is referring to something that was heartbreaking and negative that, that the Lord had brought into their life. But he keeps the same style, but he changes he changes the, the, the tone of the topic because instead of something negative, he says, Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. He's saying that God was in control of their hope too. That God had put them in this situation where they, they felt broken, but he, He's given a banner of truth to His army. A banner that, that was to be held up in front of them as they continued to fight. As they went back into the battle after defeat, there was this banner in front of them. He's speaking metaphorically of something. But that is, he's, he's speaking of God's truth. God's Word that they are to fight for and to use to encourage them to fight. This... This banner of God that was to go in front of the army, that the army was to follow, this banner was painted with the promises of God. That is what was on it. And when the people saw the promises on that banner, they would be able to fight on. And the same is true for us. We have to see the truth. Through the defeat and the sorrow and the pain, we have to see the truth. You know, there's three different categories of things that David speaks of here, and I only have time to cover one of them. And that one is, we have to see what He has said about us. We have to see what God has said about His people. And the first thing under this is that we are called beloved. If you look at verse 5, it says, "...that thy beloved may be delivered." In the midst of this heartbreaking defeat, David remembers this truth and he sets it before him. We are still the Lord's beloved. The word beloved simply means loved one. I am still loved of the Lord. Even though He has brought this great pain, He still loves me. And the circumstances that I'm in don't change that. And that is very important for us to believe because, as I said already, that is something that we doubt when we come into suffering. But faith has to come in and lay hold of that, that He does love us. And because He loves us, these bad things that come into our lives will be used for our good. All things work together for good. I feel like a lot of people use that verse very tritely. But that verse does not say all things are good. It says all things will work together for good. So all bad things, all dark, evil, painful, hurtful things will work together for good. Because we are His beloved. That's the only thing that can happen. It's the only thing that He could do for us. But we also see that we are His possession. If you look at verse 7, 
the Lord is speaking here. And he says, Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. What's going on there? Well, the Lord, he mentions two parts of, of something. And he's using those parts to, to refer to the whole. We're familiar with, with a phrase like this. If, if you say from sea to shining sea, you're just talking about two points and you're referring to the entire United States. That includes Hawaii, which is not between the seas. So you have a figure of speech referring to the whole. So in the midst of this defeat, David is remembering that he's looking at his beloved and he's saying, you are mine. He's not just saying, I love you. He is saying, you are my bride. You are my possession. In the New Testament, he speaks, he speaks the same thing. In John 17, he says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. We are Christ's. We are his possession. It's like when you get, when you get married to someone or you have kids, you have, they are yours. You have a responsibility to care for them, to take care of them. And the Lord says, He takes that ownership on Himself. He says, I will take care of you. Even after we are defeated. Even after we, if we are defeated and it's our fault because we've fallen into sin, we are still His. And He will still take care of us because that is when we need it the most. If the Lord is not going to take care of us when we fall into sin, then we are of all people a very hopeless people. But He does take care of us. But thirdly under this, He has a purpose for us to fulfill. It says in verse 7, Ephraim also is the strength of mine head. Judah is my lawgiver. The Lord is saying to Ephraim there that they were His chosen strength to go out to, to lead the, the armies of Israel in battle. They were going to be the means that He used to conquer His enemies. Because the Lord loves to use means. It's what He does all throughout history. And He says to Ephraim, I have a purpose for you. There's something that I have chosen for you to do because I love you, because I own you. I have something that you are going to do. You're going to go out and you're going to fight and be my chief strength against my enemies. He says, Judah is my lawgiver. Well, from Judah, the kings would come. He says, I'm going to raise up kings. David was one of them from Judah. And in Genesis 49, verse 10, it's, it says... The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Scepter is a symbol of authority, of kingship. The king shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. The Lord promised Judah, kings will always come from you until the king comes. Until Christ came. But because of those two purposes that He had given to Ephraim and to Judah, they could not be destroyed. They could suffer defeats and setbacks, but they could not be destroyed. It was impossible. Even when the nation fell away into captivity, the Lord still 
brought His King out of Judah and fulfilled His purpose. There may be someone that's coming to this church this morning and you may be in a very dark and defeated place. I was struck by the words from our reading. Lamentations 3, He hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. I wouldn't be surprised if you've come to this service this morning and you feel those words more deeply than some others here. But if you do, if you are Christ's, He still has a purpose for you. A work for you to do. I'm not referring to... People use that, that term that you know, God has a wonderful purpose for your life. Most of the time people say that and I don't know what they mean. Because it sounds more like God is, has a wonderful purpose. He's going to give you all these things. This prosperity in your life. I don't know exactly what the Lord is going to, what your life is going to look like tomorrow or in the weeks ahead. I don't promise prosperity and riches or in possessions. But the Lord does have a purpose for His people. And we don't throw that away because people misuse the terms. He does have a purpose for us. I just mentioned the other two things that we don't have time to get into this morning, but we promised to give them the land in verse, in verse 6. It says, God has spoken in His holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and meet out the valley of Sukkoth. And there the Lord is simply saying, listen, the land that you are fighting for and striving to, to conquer back and take, it's mine. I own it. And because I own it, I will divide it. I will give it to my people. It's, it's already my possession. You're fighting to take it, but it's mine. And so you're going to win. And then the third thing, we'll just look at it briefly too, that He's promised victory over our enemies. You see that in verse 8. He says, Moab is my wash pot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Philistia, triumph thou because of me. You know, people, they disagree and they're not sure exactly about the imagery that's going on here, but the Lord is, the Lord in essence is saying, these enemies that you're fighting, they are nothing. Moab is my wash pot. He is insulting them. Over Edom, I'll cast out my shoe. You know, when he says, Philistia, triumph thou because of me, he's, he's almost sarcastically calling out the Philistines to triumph, rejoice, and, and shout because of me. Go ahead and do it. Because he's saying, I'm going to conquer you. You cannot resist me. You know, that. That means for us that Christ has already won. He's already beaten our enemies. Those sins that you're struggling to fight over and to gain victory over, the Lord said, they are nothing to me. They are as good as defeated. Let them shout and cry out as much as they want. They are done. 
and even to, to sinners that resist Him, that fight against Him, the Lord is saying, I have already won. Judgment will come, or you will come in repentance to Me. It's already been done. This enemy is nothing to Me. We come now thirdly and finally. Look at the third thing that David, David does in this psalm, and that is to continue the fight. David, he's fixed his mind on that banner. He's fixed his eyes upon the truth of what God has said. And now he's going to take action. You see him praying in humility. You see that throughout all of the psalm. David does it in the, in the opening verses when he's calling on the Lord to help them. He's, he's calling on the Lord in, humil- in humility, in total dependence on the Lord to do the work. He's not looking to himself. He's looking completely to the Word, to the Lord. He is not hyping himself up, motivating himself with some temporary passing emotion to keep fighting. He is fixing his gaze on the Lord with total dependence and he is praying. He's praying in total dependence. You see that in verse 11. Give us help from trouble. For vain is the help of man. You know, David, he, I would not doubt, shares a common temptation with us that when, when we suffer defeat, we have a tendency to start looking for anything that has a slight promise of, of victory. Something that, that has a chance that things will start to go right. And we start to look towards those things and depend on them. But David couldn't do that. Israel was prohibited from looking for help from Gentile nations or getting mercenaries or reinforcements. They were forced by the Lord, you totally depend on Me. The same goes for us, you totally depend on Me. That does not mean that we ignore common sense. You you get a medical diagnosis and go to the doctor. Listen to your doctor and take the common grace that the Lord has given to them to help you. But when you get help from men, remember that it is vain, it is empty, it is worthless if the Lord is not in it, if He is not there helping and strengthening them. If you take man alone as your help, it's worthless. We also see Him praying in faith. David didn't just pray with humility. He prayed with confidence to the Lord. You see that in verses 9 and 10. He says, Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? Wilt not Thou, O God, which hast cast us off, and Thou, O God, which didst not go out with our armies? David there, he's, he's praying with confidence that the Lord will go out with them that He will fight for them because He's taking the promises of God and He's praying them back to Him with confidence. The Lord has said these things and I'm just bringing back to the Lord what He has said. I love to just take the verse, the gates of hell will not prevail against Him. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. That means that the devil will not stop the work of the Lord. That includes this church from accomplishing what the Lord has sent it to do. So if this church suffers a setback, the Lord said to us, the devil will not triumph against 
the Lord's work. And so you bring that back in prayer to the Lord and you said, look, this is what you said. Is the Lord not going to do what He said He was going to do? When we pray to the Lord like that, we pray with faith, with confidence. Our faith is strengthened. The last thing that David did is he fought with confidence. In the last verse of this psalm, David, he switches from praying to God to making a definite statement about what is about to happen. He says, through God we shall do valiantly, for it is He that shall tread down our enemies. They will fight valiantly. Their hearts will be filled with courage because the Lord is there. The Lord is fighting for them. He has not left them. That doesn't mean that David or or us, that we have this flawless faith that now has absolutely no doubts, that has just no fear or hesitation whatsoever. Because we just we don't have that. But it does mean that we have faith, confidence in God that we will overcome, that we will fight in spite of fears or doubts. And we will win. We do win. You know, the Lord has told us already the end of this story. The Lord has said He's going to gather in all of His people. There will be victory. I'll come to a close. Men have they've accurately called this world and said of it that it is a veil of tears. This is a land where the Lord does show His people hard things. Very hard things. But He doesn't show us these things to break us or to discourage us. He's showing us these things for our good. So that we would depend more on Him. And in the midst of these these sorrows that we face, there is still hope. There is a banner that goes before us. And remember that on that banner, on that banner, He calls us His beloved and His bride. He encourages us on that banner that He has a purpose for us. I have a job, a mission that I have called you to do. You will accomplish it. And on that banner, it says Christ is owner of all things. Heaven and earth. And He will conquer. The enemies that stand in His midst are nothing. Victory is written on that banner. And you have that banner with you this morning. It's this book that I have before me. We fix our minds on this. We fix our minds on this, on this truth and we pray, Lord, convince me. Persuade my heart that You are telling the truth. You know, that's faith. Being persuaded that God is telling the truth. And the Lord 
It is His joy and His pleasure to do that when His people seek Him. Look to His banner in this Word so that we can say, everyone in this room can say, despite their defeats, through God, we shall do valiantly. Amen. I'll close in a word of prayer then ask our brother to come up. Our gracious God, our Heavenly Father, Lord, we confess that we are, we are weak people. Lord, there is, it seems so easy for the, the trials and the difficulties of this life to, to lay Your people in the dust. And Lord, we confess that Thou art the one that has chosen our defeats and our difficulties and our trials. They are all by Your hand. But Lord, You have chosen to give us Thy truth that we would stand in the midst of these defeats. Lord, we pray that You would do that for every Christian in this room. Encourage all of our hearts that we would do valiantly. Lord, that we would believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.